Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is an exciting Sunday for us because uh, I get to announce that next Sunday we're bringing back Next Gen Ministries indoors, in person. It's going to be incredible. I'm super pumped about that. Uh, but I want to say that right now I know that there is... Uh, that there is a class of kindergartners and first graders uh, at 915 Worship who are waiting, literally waiting for somebody, one of you, to teach them about Jesus. So if you've ever wondered if you could make an eternal difference, an eternal impact, this is your opportunity uh, for our youngest disciples. We're very, very excited about it. You can go to the website, encounterchurch.org, sign up, get a little bit more information, and make an impact as soon as next week. Uh, this morning, we are kicking off a new series called Triggered, and I guess you could say that this is your, um, your trigger warning for the upcoming four weeks, and we're going to cover uh, these, these topics that don't always get a lot of airtime in the church world because they're so charged, but what happens is that, is that pain and hurt, disappointment and despair tend to thrive in the shadows. And so what we're going to do is we're going to expose that, we're going we're gonna to shed God's amazing light on these themes, on these topics, so that we can find restoration and, and find wholeness throughout the process. So today, we're going to address dating, intimacy, even sex. Next week, we're going to talk about heaven and hell. The week after that, part three, we're going to talk about money and God's plan for managing his resources. And then finally, after the election is officially over, we are going to talk about politics and how it is that we are going to learn to live with one another if anybody has stuck around through this series that long enough. All right, so today, today we're talking about intimacy, today we're talking about dating and even sex. But I kind of want to get us on the same page today and, and sort of acknowledge who is this message for exactly. So I know many of you uh, may be watching at home too uh, who uh, who think like this is a long time in the distance, right? This is like I'm in junior high or high school right now, and that stuff, you know, we're going to face a long time from now. Some of your parents are like, hey, my kid is not going to face this for a long time. And I just want to say that like the decisions that you make today and the convictions that you have today determine your future tomorrow. So like it's important, not later on, it's important like right now. I want to acknowledge that there's people who are in relationships or even marriages that have gone on for years, and you're, just, you're sensing like something is missing. Like it's not all together there. It's not present. It can't be all there is. And I'm saying, no, this is not all there is. There is something else. There is something amazing on the other side if we get a few things right today. I also want to know that, I also want to acknowledge that uh, there's people around, there's people in the room watching online, um, and you've never seen like a healthy relationship modeled for you. Maybe Maybe your parents had a crummy relationship and that's all you saw growing up and that's all you have to think about marriage, to think about dating and intimacy and sex. Maybe that's it. Or maybe you grew up and it was just you in a single parent house and you never saw like a healthy marriage interacting, a healthy marriage play out together. So I want to say this is for all of you. This is for all of us together. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is acknowledge that a lot of the time, where we got our ideas about intimacy or where we got our ideas about sex, it comes maybe from like the, the, the tremendously awkward conversation with our parents that was like three or five minutes, um, that all of everybody just wanted it to be done and to like move on. And so we just kind of got the, uh, like the overview, and then, it, and then we moved on with life, thank goodness. 
and we never really got the why behind it all. Or maybe you went to like camp uh, with your church someday, or maybe you went to a conference and a speaker, and then like there was a pledge signing thing at the end, and like everybody went forward, and you knew that you had to too because you didn't want to be the only person left in the chairs. Everybody else went forward, and so you had to too to like sign up for the abstinence pledge, but you never really knew why why the church teaches what it does, why Christians believe what they do, and you always sense there was something else to it, but you can never really figure it out. And so it didn't really mean all that much. And so today what we're doing is, is we're shedding God's amazing light on this topic to figure out why. But just in case somebody has to like get up and use the restroom, or, uh, or you don't make it through uh, online here watching, uh, or maybe you just like mentally tune out, I just want to get us on the same page and say, if you take nothing else, just take away this, this like cultural lie uh, that, that, that was just around us all the time, that's marketed to us all the time, this cultural lie that sex, it's just physical. I mean, it's, it's around, it's, it's marketed to us, you can make money off of this idea, it's just physical. That's all it is. And I just want to say, that's a lie. That's not true. There's something more. And you know, you know deep down that that's not true. But listen, there's so much available. There's so much into it that's like people want us to believe that thing, that sex is, it's, it's nothing else than like, it's nothing else than like touch football, right? Maybe tackle football would like be a better example. No harm, no foul. Maybe like Greco-Roman wrestling would probably be the, be the best example on that. But, but the rules are simple. Like, listen, it, since it's only physical, if there's no harm, there's no foul, nobody gets hurt. Because it's just physical, it, as long as, as, long as like, diseases aren't contracted, as long as somebody doesn't end up pregnant, they didn't expect to get pregnant at the time, listen, as long as nobody got physically hurt, then it stays just physical. And I want to push back about that and say all of us, no matter what your spiritual convictions are, no matter whether or not you identify with Christ as a Christian, uh, following Jesus, or something else completely different, entirely different, or maybe you're just so far from like the idea of Christianity and as God has revealed himself to, to us in the Bible, and you're just not there at all. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually. It doesn't matter where you are religiously. We know, deep down, we know, don't we, that that's a lie. And I'll tell you like how we know that that's a lie. I'll tell you how we know that it's something, it's more than just physical. Because when this thing goes bad, it goes bad on levels that are so much deeper than just the physical. When this thing goes bad, when, a, when abuse happens, especially with a child, like, nobody, no matter what your faith, no matter what your religious background, nobody is going to look at that person now as a grown adult and say, well, listen, it was just physical. You know that, like, it, it impacts somebody, not just in a physical way, something so much more that it's like, oftentimes it's, it's, carried, it's carried with them well into adulthood, and so often people describe themselves as just like, I'm off. Like, I'm, I'm tilted in a certain way. And I will spend the rest of my life in recovery over that thing that happened. Why? Because we know that it's something so much more than physical. When this thing goes wrong, when abuse happens, when assault happens, and it's not just physical assault, we know that like something lingers inside of a person long after the scars have healed and the bruises have faded. We know that the hurt and the pain is still exists and so we know it's not just physical chances are if you've had somebody 
ask for a moment of your time as a friend and sit down and they just look at you eyeball to eyeball and they look at you and they say, I got to confess something to you that I have not told anybody in my entire life. Chances are, it's about this same topic. We know, don't we, that it's not just physical, but we don't know why. Oftentimes. So that's what this morning is about. It's trying to figure out why isn't it just physical? And then what else is there to be gained? And I want you to, to not just take like my wisdom on this because you could do better than just my wisdom. I want to go to, uh, to actually the designer. I want to go to the creator's perspective to see what he made because sex, this isn't just a good thing. This is a God thing. And so he made it. And so presumably he would he would know, he would instruct us on how to steward this thing well. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, the very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, when he creates humanity, he creates a person, specifically Adam. And in Genesis chapter 2, starting off in verse 20, we read this, that but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And when I say helper, I don't want, to, I don't want us to think that like Adam and Eve, that Eve was somehow diminished as a person, Diminishing her capacity, diminishing her role. No, 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 that's not what helper means. God sometimes refers to himself as a helper. Where does my helper, where does my help come from? No, no, no. It's not about being diminished in any possible way. But God recognizes that there's something yet to be gained. So, verse 21. So the Lord, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, Jewish scholars write about this, this story, this creation story, and for, and for thousands of years, they've, they've written like lines around this thing, and they said, it's key, it's super important that, that God chooses to take from the side, uh, and not from, in a poetic way, not from the feet, that he would, Adam, w- would rule over her, not from the head, that like she would, she would rule and reign over him. No, from the side, that they would do life together, that they would journey together, side by side, that they would build, that they would create together, side by side. He's not done. Verse 23, then the man said, this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. A couple technical words coming up here. Then she, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Not exactly, like I said, the most technical sounding words in the English language. But this story wasn't written originally in the English language. This story was written in a biblical language called Hebrew. And it's just kind of interesting to note the, the, the word play that's used throughout this chapter and the chapter ahead of it as well. Every time that the word man was used, a specific word was used, Adam, where we get our word Adam. That's why he was called Adam, because it sounds like Adam. That word was used. Whether it says in English, whether it says man, or whether it says Adam, every single time that it's used ahead of this passage, the word Adam was used. When we get to that passage that I just read for you, that he was, the passage that I got for you, that we see that from the rib was taken out of the man, she shall be called woman, and she was taken out of man. Two new words were introduced. The first one for man wasn't Adam, Adam. It was Ish, and the woman was Isha. 
And it was introduced this way to say, like, something new is being instilled. It wasn't just the generic, it wasn't just Adam in particular. It was this whole new category was created called man. This whole new category was created called woman. And the two words, they almost sound the same, ish and isha. And out of the ish, the isha was taken, and they were separated out. And there's, like, this poetic language on it that says, like, like, listen, like, since they've been separated, there's always been this longing, always been this journey to, like, to, to join back together again. Like, they, they belong with one another, the man and the woman, the ish and the isha, together once again. And this is part of the, the, the why that we get in the, in the next line in verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That word, united. They bring together. That's why a man leaves his father. That's why she leaves. He leaves. They leave. He leaves the, the bachelor pad. That's why. He leaves the, the, the house or the apartment that's rented with all of his buddies and the dis, stacked up dirty dishes and the, and the yard that hasn't been cut all summer long. Maybe that's not your experience, but it definitely was mine. That's why he leaves all of that stuff and, and, and becomes united. And she does the same and becomes united. Husband and wife, they leave their past life behind and they start to build something together. That's Genesis. And then Jesus actually affirms this idea. He picks this idea up in, in Matthew chapter 19. He says, yes, yes, all of that one. And the two now, they become one flesh, Jesus adds. They become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate now. Because they've, they've made it. They've completed their journey. The Ish and the Isha, they've come together. They've joined together. They're one now. And so no one, no one, let no one separate and tease those out. Again, they've completed their journey in with one another. And so sometimes we look at that and we think, okay, but we have a very sophisticated new way of viewing this that they didn't have access to because they were maybe reading the Old Testament and listening to the words of Jesus. They never before had the possibility of thinking about this, this, this new idea, this new kind of philosophy that, listen, like sex, it, it can only be physical. Like you can make it just physical. But for them, they wouldn't have had any, any idea, anything to do with that idea. So of course, we're, we're much more sophisticated than they were then. Paul is writing to this church in Corinthians, in Corinth, and he's writing to a church that's mostly Greeks, mostly Romans. They had almost no idea, like, who Jesus was or the Old Testament book, the Genesis account, the creation account. They didn't, they didn't have any bucket to put any of that stuff in. And what happens when Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, he goes, don't you know? Do you not know? That he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said the two will become one flesh. Like suddenly this idea, right? We're so sophisticated. We know now that it can just be physical. It's like, no, no, no. Paul was saying, you guys already believe that 2,000 years ago. They had that same idea. That all they have to do is just go down for them, it, was, it happened at the temple, and you just go down, you, you pay the, the, the temple fee, and you meet up with somebody there, and you do the thing, and then you go home again. It's, it's, it's just physical. No harm done. It's spring break 2018. It's what happens after a night at the bar and too many drinks. It gets just physical, and as long as nobody got physically hurt, 
no harm was done. And Paul's like, don't, don't you know? Paul's advice, uh, verse 18, this is my advice, Paul says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. And this is why all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I love that, that like Paul gets it. He acknowledges it. He goes, you know why? You know, it's not just physical. Because it's categorically different than anything else. Every other sin, every other way of stepping out of the path, it is, in fact, different than this one. This one is. It is unique. And I love how he ends it when he's like, and you know what? The person that gets hurt when this thing goes wrong, it isn't first and foremost them. It's me. It's the one doing it. When this thing goes wrong, everything else, this is outside the body. This is against their own body. I just, I guess there's a better way to maybe explain it is to illustrate it like this. Um, years ago, my wife and I, I'm sorry, just I, had the opportunity to travel um, to some of these same cities. It's kind of modern day Turkey. It's the cities that the uh, New Testament was written to and about. It's kind of a Paul's missionary journeys, uh, walking in the footsteps of Paul uh, type of trip. And I learned just a ton, especially like archaeology of the place and some of the customs and, and practices of the time. It was just like really meaningful to me. And I knew in touring around that I needed to like bring back just a slice of a little bit that I learned. And something that I was just so like caught with is this, um, these ceremonial Roman washing basins, right? Because these are the kind of things that like Jesus would have used to wash the feet of his own disciples like Peter on the night before he died and unfortunately the the museums wouldn't just let me like take home one of these 2,000 year old washing vessels um I told him I was in seminary and everything but it was just you know not not gonna happen and so like I find a uh, a potter who throws pots the exact same way as they used to 2,000 years ago in Jesus day and he uses the same technology the practices he fires it with the same exact way that they have done for 2,000 years ago I go that I can get. And because of that, it was extraordinarily expensive, and the shipping cost, you know, obviously put me in the red at, at the time as well. But it doesn't matter because of how significant, how important it was, both in terms of its expense, but also like the internal significance. So, my wife, you know, she, after our wedding, she dries her bouquet, uh, wedding day bouquet, and we store it. If you've been to my home, you've probably noticed something like this and maybe asked about it, a conversation piece. It's really, really meaningful to us um, because of the history, but because of also the, the faith that's that's wrapped up in it. And so I just want to ask, like, do we have, do we have like a history buff in the room or just somebody who can appreciate like really like old things? Raise your hand. Raise your, awesome. Okay. Um, have you ever held a replica of a 2,000-year-old ceremonial pot that Jesus would have used to wash the feet of his disciples? Would you like to? So nice catch. There's like this gasp in the room as I throw it all over there. Listen, this is not a replica of a 2,000-year-old vase. It came from Home Goods. It was like $7.99. Nobody, this is what's important. You can just set that down. Nobody, nobody would ever in their right mind throw 
such a valuable artifact across the room and hope that the person catches it and respects it. This is what our culture, this is how our culture teaches us to use our bodies and our sexuality to throw it around. And as valuable as I led you to believe that was, the message of God to you today is that you are so much more valuable than that. As see, Paul implores us to, to flee. Not because he just wants you to sacrifice something. Not because he just doesn't want you to have any fun. No, Paul implores you, God implores you to flee from getting this thing wrong. Because he has something for you on that other side. That, that intimacy, dating, sex, it has always been about that longing to join back together once again. It's always been about the possibility of having this transparency with somebody else, having this openness with somebody else, having this safety with somebody else, having this security with somebody else. Yes, having some passion with somebody else, but also having patience with somebody else, with one other person on the far side of this thing is something so good and something so great, something so holy that God just, his message is steward this thing well. Because as we throw it around, there's like this capacity to experience that intimacy, that openness, that security, that safety. The capacity to experience those things diminishes each time we become one with someone else. And it takes time. In some cases, it takes years to like redevelop that capacity, which is why when you get it wrong, when we step it up, when we do that, it hurts us first. And so sometimes when couples come to me and they're like, listen, I, I, I've stepped up, this, I've messed this thing up. And the individuals who say, I'm caught up in something and I want to be freed from it. I want to get rid of it. I want to find restoration, I want to find forgiveness, and I want to find wholeness. But I just don't know. And I'm not ready to like commit to the whole thing yet. Sometimes I offer it, and I'll, just, I'll offer it to you right now. I, I would encourage you, especially if you're not sure about this entire thing, I'd encourage you to take 12 months, like a one-year challenge, and just press pause on the physical and just like pull out that one, that, just that one piece of your relationship, or that one part of your life, and just press pause on that and just see, it, it just see like a muscle that, that gains strength now that it gets to be used, that intimacy, connection, it builds and builds. The capacity to meaningfully share with another human being builds because now the physical is taken out of the relationship and you get to discover what's behind it in the first place. And then... When I say that, like press pause on one area of relationship for 12 months, chances are you're thinking the same thing that most people tell me is, I don't know if I can make that kind of sacrifice, is the word that's used, a sacrifice. And, and again, I want to I push back on that one and say, is it though a sacrifice? Because when I sacrifice something, when the benefit of sacrificing that thing is me, I don't tend to call that a sacrifice. I tend to call that an investment. 
Like, I, like, I, don't, I don't go, you know, when we're ready to make this big commitment to, like, you know, someday I'm going to get so old I can't work anymore, and so I should probably have a little bit stored up to the side. I don't open up an, indiv- an IRA, an individual retirement account, and go see a sacrifice advisor. When the person who's going to benefit for all my little sacrifices is me, I call it an investment because it's helping me. In the same way, I'd say, listen, if you're going to press pause on this area of your life for 12 months in order, in order to build up this muscle of intimacy and in communion with another person, if you're going to benefit from that thing, it isn't a sacrifice. It's an investment in you. It's an investment to experience intimacy maybe on, maybe on a whole new level. Maybe like you've never done it before. And maybe it'll sound a little like Genesis 2, 25, the final verse. That Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Not just that they were naked and they felt no shame, but on a wordplay in a poetic sense, when it says that they were naked, you get the sense that it's more than that. That they weren't just totally naked, they were totally transparent. That they were totally open. That they were totally vulnerable. That they were totally real. That they were totally exposed to one another. And they felt no shame. It's such a beautiful picture about what intimacy can and should look like. And sometimes we get this thing wrong. And we want to admit that. It's sometimes we get caught up in something, an addiction, and even though it's just it's images on a screen somewhere, we know that it's not just physical. We know that it's shrinking our capacity to meaningfully connect with another person. Sometimes we get this thing wrong because it's like a marriages are in a crummy place and falling apart and there's no communication and there is no intimacy, but there is physical. And you're like, it's got to be more than that. And you're right, it's meant to be more than that. Or if you've never seen this modeled before and you start to experience some of the wake of the physical without the intimate, without the companionship, without the communion behind that, and you start to worry as maybe I found, maybe I'm with the wrong person. And I hear that one a lot, too. I'm with the wrong person. I say, listen, there is no right person. There is only one. And he came 2,000 years ago, and he died on a cross. We killed him. We put him up there. And then he was buried, and he rose again from the dead to, to give us joy, to give us freedom, to give us forgiveness, to give us grace, and to give us mercy. He did that. No, there isn't just a right person that you're with. There's only wrong people, but by his grace, we learn to see imperfect people perfectly through the eyes of Jesus. And so I want to invite you, if you're, if you're like ready to say, listen, I want to experience that intimacy in marriage. I want to feel no shame. I do not want to be defined by my past any longer because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're going to close with a song, and I want to invite you to hear the the words, the lyrics of this song. As God's word 
singing over you. Because intimacy, true intimacy, connection, longing to be together again, it doesn't come first and foremost by finding the right person. It's that intimacy is created with God. And maybe the first step is being in his presence and accepting his warm embrace and his love and his mercy. Would you stand with me where you are in the room and also watching online as well? Let's stand up together as we move into this final song. With you, the words of the song, listen to them now. There's nowhere I'd rather be. When you're singing over me, I just want to be here with you. I'm lost in your mystery. I'm found in your love for me. Just want to be here with you. And so, God, we bring before you all of the ways that we have gone wrong and the ways that we have tried to find connection and intimacy in ways that are outside of you and your pathway for us. God, thank you for making a way towards us. Thank you for connecting meaningfully and profoundly with us, even in our inability to connect with you. Jesus, right now, in heaven, in spirit, with us here on earth, you are singing over us.